0: Good evening, everybody. Malachim Aleph Pereke, chapter 5 of the first book of Kings. This is the chapter where we first get the sense of Shlomo putting his plan into action it doesn't really read like many chapters that we're used to on the one hand it is narrative it is the story but really the personal the image rather at the center of the chapter is not Shlomo the individual normally the stories of Tanakh focus on individuals rather what we are seeing in front of us in this chapter is the state is the whole of the country and its apparatus mobilizing in order to achieve Shlomo's aims. The chapter begins with telling us about the huge kingdom which Shlomo is now ruling over. Min Hanahar Eretz Plishtim Ad Gvul mitsrayim. That is presumably from the Euphrates until the border of Egypt. This is the largest that Biblical Israel will ever be, I believe. It uh, corresponds with what Abraham is told in Bereshit about the land that his children will inhabit. We are told then of the huge amounts of food that will supply Shlomo's uh, family and Shlomo's court for every day. We are told of the uh, huge numbers of horses that Shlomo has. 40,000 um 40,000 stables for his horses. Possibly that might give us a sense of foreboding. We might remember from Devarim that loyarbelos, or a king is not supposed to have many horses. Shlomo has 40,000 of them. But in the basic sense of the narrative, it's giving a sense of the grandeur of the project, which is taking place in front of our eyes. We are told of Chiram, a friend of um his, of Shlomo's father, David, king of Tyree, up in the far north, who writes to, sends to Shlomo, telling him how glad he is. And Shlomo says, I want you to be able to import uh, your wonderful cedars. Shlomo then sends 30,000 Israelites in order to help Hiram, and his people hew and transport the wood that they are importing. What we are looking at is the mobilization of a huge state. In the center of the chapter, we're told of Shlomo's wisdom, the wisdom which presumably God had granted him after their nighttime encounter in chapter 3. However, in chapter Three, the Chochmah, the wisdom that Shlomo asked for, was the wisdom to judge. This Lev Shomea Lishbote amcha the, a discerning heart, that I can judge your people. Here, however, the Chochmah, the wisdom, seems to have expanded to include many other different areas. We are told that Shlomo is wiser than all chokhmat Kol Kedem, all the wise people. Of the East, and of all the wise people of Egypt. We're even told of the names of a few presumably leading public intellectuals of the time Eitan HaEzrachi, Khalkol, Darai All of these people, Shlomo was even smarter than all of them, whoever they are, the Aristotles, the Einsteins of the period. Shlomo, we are told, made 3,000 Mashalim. Rabbi Alex, Israel, um, has a nice way of thinking about this. A mashal presumably is a philosophical aphorism. So Shlomo's in charge of the philosophy department. But he also has Chamisha V'alef Shirim, a thousand and five poems. So he's in the literary department as well. <laughs> he can speak of all of the different trees as well. That puts him in the Uh, agriculture in the biology department, he can speak of all the animals as well, there he is in the zoology department, and they come from all of the peoples to hear Shlomo's wisdom. Rabbi Alex suggests, and I think this is actually very compelling, that it's perhaps not that Shlomo is himself the expert in all of these fields, but rather that Shlomo ensures that the seat of his kingdom in Jerusalem is the center of learning and scholarship in every possible discipline, so that anybody in the known world who wishes to encounter knowledge knows that the address that they are to go to is Shlomo's kingdom. What this chapter gives us then is a sense of the grandeur of the project. Shlomo, it must be stated in contrast to his father, is a peacetime ruler. Shlomo we never see go to war. In contrast to his father who is always at war, either he is being harried in pursuit in the desert by Sha'ul or he is trying to establish his kingdom or his kingdom once established is being rebelled against normally by a member of his family. Shlomo by contrast has a project for the peace. It is a grand project, a project which will be one of Ola Goyim, which the nations will see as a light and they will be drawn to. What I find so fascinating, and we'll conclude with this, is that when I learned this chapter with students a couple of days ago, many of their responses were, this doesn't feel very Jewish. The Tanakh as a whole, expects us to have a sort of a sense of tsniut, of modesty. We are not used to such grand displays. We associate them perhaps with other religions. Are we supposed to feel uncomfortable by this? Perhaps the number of horses I mentioned earlier should give us a sense of foreboding. But on the other hand, perhaps if we're to take seriously this idea of Orla Goyim, of a knight to the nations, it can't be done from a mode of real simplicity. But actually, at least in the way in which Shlomo seems to be directing the story, needs to be done from a mode of a prestigious, grand, hugely impressive project which is being set up.